0: Central. Hello and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on RTE Radio. Our show this week is brought to you in association with Avanad, the leading provider of digital, cloud and advisory services and sustainable industry solutions across the Microsoft ecosystem. You can find out more about them at Avanad.com forward slash Avanad. Ireland. My name is Dusty Rosie. Welcome to show number nine hundred and thirty-eight. Joining me, as always, is our editor in chief, Niall Kitson. And it's like it's like Christmas has come early. So yeah. many toys to talk about this we week. We're talking Can about we...
2: things this week. We talked the about things team. last week. We're talking about Dude. things again this week.
0: This what a great job we have. We love tech. We keep getting new tech, and we and we get paid to talk about it. Amazing. Did you t- ever think, like, when you were in school and you were dragged into the careers officer and you went, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to work at a bank? Do you want to dig holes for living? You went, no, I want to be given free presents and then paid to talk about them. Get out yeah, of here. Yeah. If, I, if I was 12... That's a great conversation. <laughs> anyway, listen. Amazon had a huge announcement this week. It did. Uh, Lots of stuff in there. Most of it, but there's one thing. There's one thing. And Niall and myself are both literally salivating at the thought yeah. of this. We're going. Yeah. <gasps> but do, first, do, yeah. Do you do you want to introduce it or shall I? Uh, I'll introduce it because I came across. It's been around a year. It's just gone on release in the, in the states. And this is the Enreal Air AR glasses. Mm-hmm. Now, I've this is the first time seeing them and I've kind of gone, oh, now this is the way to do it. Shall yeah. I describe them or yeah. shall you?
2: Okay, right. So uh, a brief description, I suppose, for those who who haven't seen or heard them before. They're basically uh, a set of AR glasses that look like a set of Ray-Ban wafers. Yeah. If you don't mind that sort of 80s-ish reference. Um, and... They're quite thick and there's an outer lens, which is just a normal lens, and then an inner Mm -hmm. lens, which is where all the nifty AR stuff happens. They're a little bit chunkier than you might expect. There's a bit of flex on the arms, which Mm -hmm. have built-in Bluetooth speakers. Um, There's also a little bit of uh, rotation. I think there's a 17-degree hinge on it. Um, So you've you've got a a little bit of up-down sort of side to side kind of mm. kind of motion um, and audio built-in charges by USB-C. But, uh, and they're quite light as well. They only weigh seven, 79 can I just grams. Add,
0: can I just add what they are not? What are they not? They are not a VR headset where you're wearing this huge monstrosity on the front of your face. And they are not Google Glass with cameras attached.
2: Yeah, they're, they're this nice middle ground, uh, although they can be VR glasses because they come with a, a cover, so you can black out the actual lenses and uh-huh. you won't have any distractions around you. So you can do the, the sort of the AR stuff if you want, or you can put on the the blackout thing. Uh, you won't be able to see out of it, but it will give you a, a full screen experience. So Dusty, when you were explaining it to me, you, you went straight to the the meat of the matter, yeah. You, you you went, you you said. I, like, I love, here's... I love my movies. Yep. <laughs> I love my movies. That's <laughs> and it. Basically, uh,
0: and, and I think this is possibly the only thing so far that I've seen that this is good for. But you can place yourself with these glasses in a virtual movie theater mm. with an enormous screen, yeah. But still, sit in the comfort of your own home.
2: Yeah, the, the, uh, if you go for a regular screen, there's two versions of mm. this that you can have depending on whether mm. you use their AR environment or, or not. If you're, if you're using just sort of the regular screen, you can have uh, a screen of up to, what is it, 130 inches. Yes. 130 inch screen. Now, I mean, for somebody like myself, I've got a pretty small front room and I've got a pretty small television in it because I don't like having a room taken over by, by my TV. Mm. So I've got a 32 inch television. Uh, which is very small. I mean, the average at the moment is 55. Uh, but I've got a 32-inch TV. And I used to have a 70-inch projector, but I had to get rid of it, um, even though it was a wonderful piece piece of equipment. Uh, and 70 inches felt huge. So now if I had the option just to put on these little glasses, um, they do look slightly ridiculous. They They do still look like not quite normal glasses. But they're not as ridiculous as a VR headset. This is true. This is true. Um, so I could just imagine myself kicking back on the sofa with these things on, uh, watching watching a movie that really benefits from epic scale like Dune or Lawrence of Arabia or something like that, you know? Um, I'm really enjoying the heck out of these things. Uh, five-hour battery life, it's all right. Um, if you have a compatible Android device, which means if you have uh, a Samsung, a Sony, or an Oppo phone, they have uh, an AR environment, um, which is called I think it's called Nebula, isn't it? I don't know the basically, you get uh, the equivalent of a two hundred and one inch screen, where you have loads of windows around it. You can have video open here, your or, word processor over here, anything else mm-hmm. that you like, uh, on this giant virtual display. And you use mm-hmm. your mobile phone as sort of a laser pointer to go. I want to use this. Or, okay, I want to play this video. Um, it'll do pretty pretty much whatever you want on it.
0: Yeah, It, it all sounds amazing. Mm. Well, you've actually touched on one of the really big disadvantages of this uh, Nreal Air AR glasses. And that okay. is the amount of phones that
2: it will work with are really limited. Very limited. Like, I mean, you can do sort of the basics of, like, watch something if you have an iPhone. Mm. Uh, but if you want to get full value, if you want that productivity space... It has yeah. to be an Android device.
0: So, uh, and the price I think is, hmm, I don't know, 380 quid is the price. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking it's okay. Do you know what I mean? But, but only okay if you kind of, you know, have that kind of money spared. Yeah. You know so like,
2: where do you notch this up against? Okay. So you've got um, Ray-Ban's own uh, Facebook, well, meta sort of uh, collaboration. Yeah. Uh, which I think is over three hundred as well, isn't it? Yeah, they're all they're all fairly pricey, like you know. Yeah, you,
0: and, and and for a toy like that, uh, where we where would you actually really use it? Mm. <clears throat> Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> After all that excitement. And After all that it excitement, well. we have no
2: use case whatsoever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, no, hang on, there may be a use case because uh, coming to Netflix, I'm going to mm. ask you if you're going to watch this series. Uh, October 13th, I think it uh, it appears, is the story of Daniel Eck, who is the guy who founded Spotify.
2: Yeah, Daniel Eck and his business partner, uh, Martin Lawrenson. Mm. Uh, and it's it's the story of Spotify in six parts. Thank God it is a dramatization, not uh, a self serving documentary. It can yeah. be a self serving dramatization instead. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm so sick of watching documentaries on Netflix. I'm just oh, yeah, I'm done with it. You know it.
0: what was the uh, the social the, the the social what's his name about uh, Mark Zuckerberg? And then we a Steve Jobs movie. I think we did a few Steve Jobs movies uh I, yeah. th- I think this
2: would be interesting well the social but- network is a brilliant film uh mm. it's it's expertly made i mean it, you know uh, apparently it's not that accurate but it's a compelling story uh yeah. and ultimately it's kind of yeah okay it, it's where we are now it's just the process was slightly different um which was which was great and um, this is going to be a six-part drama series which still lands it into fist shaking at spot at Netflix territory because they just drag these things out to keep you on the platform. Um I mean this this story could possibly be told in two or three parts. I doubt it yeah. eight six hours. Yeah. But, um, actually
0: do you know what you when you say that, the, the minute you say that, we were talking about the social network, we were talking about the Steve Jobs movies, movies. Movies. Two hour stories. This yeah. is six episodes, probably an hour piece. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, how much is there to say about Spotify? I mean, it's not as big <laughs> like, as no, Apple. It's not, it's not a, like you can oh, put in
2: car chases oh, or anything like that. No,
0: this is, turning in, this is turning into be a terrible show. We were saying we were <laughs> living the dream, talking about all these toys and what to watch, and now it's all just ground down you, to... you so okay.
2: upbeat. But in <laughs> fairness, the trailer is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, looks, It actually looks like something. It looks like a, a very well-made TV show. Um and there's a couple of characters in there that I don't know if they're actual artists or if they're amalgams, because there's mm. a bit in the trailer where there's a musician who's talking about, you know, I'd, I'd rather have more control over my music or I'd rather be paid mm. for my music or, or something like that. And I was, I was thinking like, is that somebody specific or is that, you know, general feedback they were getting from musicians at the time? Because if, if you're at a certain level, Spotify is a good thing. Uh, It's kind of the mid-list that it's maybe not. I mean, Spotify is irrelevant to somebody like Taylor Swift. Does not matter. She's making money. That's it. People will listen to her stuff in the millions. Make, you know, don't.
0: Spotify is actually important to the top 1% of the top 1%. That's 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 the way I would see it, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's like any industry with with movies. Look at the amount of movies that are made. How many do we actually hear about? Uh, the same with books. How many books are written? How many do we hear about? Uh, it's the same with musicians. And I know this from, from years of experience. It is the top 1% of the top 1% are the only people who make any decent money out of it. And everybody else is just, forget it. However, mm-hmm. that said... Music sales is not where it's at anymore. Music sales has had its day. People don't buy music anymore. So music has got no value. All right. You use the music to uh, attract your fans into doing other things, uh, predominantly coming to see you playing live. That's where you can make some good money. And even at mm-hmm. that, actually, it's not great because you really only make it out of the merchandise. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the days when I started touring bands and stuff like that, I was amazed Um, to learn uh, that this is how it works, that when the band is selling their CD at a gig, all right, mm-hmm. they have to buy that CD off the record company at oh, full price. Perfect. All right. Cheaper. So it's kind of like, all right, but they make it on uh, T-shirts and yeah. sunglasses or whatever it is that they're going to do. And the tour as well, you know, if they're big enough and, and, and and what have you. Um And then You know, there might be online events or do you know what I mean? Anyway, the the music, what I'm saying is, here's my song. Do you like it? You get it out there to it in front of as many people as possible. And basically it's like a calling card. Yeah. So that's what Spotify does for everybody. It treats everybody. uh,
2: I read a very interesting article about um, Spotify and Stranger Things, because Mm. as we know, uh, Stranger Things has done very well for Kate Bush lately, because Running Up That Hill was on uh, an episode and Mm. millions, there have been millions of streams of that song. Um, Oddly enough, there has been no knock-on effect for the rest of her catalogue. So you just have one song with millions and millions of streams and people would be thinking, oh, this is great. They're going to listen to everything else that she's done and all this fantastic music. No. That level of discovery did not happen. Mm. People went on, listened to the song they wanted to hear and went off. That was
0: it. We are are in dangerous territory where we're going to veer into... Oh, God be with the days when you'd buy an album and you'd listen to all of the soundtracks.
2: Yeah. Well, I I still do that. That puts me into cranky old man territory, doesn't it? Moving
0: swiftly on. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about the thing you and I are both looking at for Christmas. And this is with uh, Amazon. And they had, I mean, they had a usual yada, 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 yada. Most things were bigger and better in some way or smaller. Uh, the the echo that you put into your car is smaller. Um, the only thing I I liked about that was that they now did this follow me thing. You know, like you can do with Sky, when oh you're yeah. moving from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. So if you're leaving the house, you can kind of just say, uh, blah, blah, "Blah blah blah," follow me, and it'll continue on with that same podcast in the car. That's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, it's a gimmick. Uh, Halo Rise is another thing, which is a bedside lamp and a sleep tracker. There's no speaker or screen on it, but it does monitor how you're sleeping.
2: You can you can download an app for that stick it yeah, on your whatever. phone and put your phone How under your pillow. Ever.
0: How and ever. The thing yeah. that they announced mm. is the
2: Kindle Scribe. Kindle Scribe. Now, this is something that does something that you talked to me about a few months ago about a, a device you came across that had... Um, we'll, we'll go into the features, right? So we'll start I'll, with... I'll tell you.
0: I'll, I'll tell you about the device that I had been talking about, all right? Because yes. this is where, where I kind of went, Wow! It was The Remarkable E Ink Writer. That's it. it's, a, it's a notebook, okay? It's The Remarkable yeah. Tool that's out now. And basically it's kind of something like akin to a Kindle and it comes with a pen and you write on it and da-da-da-da-da uh, and whatever. The problem that I was saying at the time was that it was very expensive, number one. Mm. Number two, then you also had to buy a very expensive pen on mm-hmm. top of that, because it wasn't included, all mm-hmm. right? And then number three was that you had to pay an annual subscription if you wanted to transfer documents between Google Drive. Mm. It's like, and then every time I would see it on Facebook, everybody would be going, brilliant piece of kit, too expensive, not paying. it." Yeah. <laughs> and there would literally be two and a half thousand comments of people all saying exactly that, too expensive, too expensive, too expensive. Mm. Kindle coming out today
2: and they have launched a competitor. Effectively, the same device when you look at it functioning. Well, no, it's it's locked in even more. So this is this is kind of the iPod of that idea. Think, I don't Do you,
0: think so. I I, no? I think it's actually a little freer. Yes, it's within the Amazon system. Mm-hmm. All right, but I don't think it's locked down as much as a remark. Anyway
2: okay uh, the, right so it's the uh, kindle scribe it's got a 10.2 yeah. inch screen it's also mm-hmm. got that sort of wider bit to the left so you can hold it more comfortably like uh like yeah. a book which i think is quite nice uh 300 ppi screen so it's roughly the same as the screen on the Paperwhite, white yeah which is very very easy to read very easy on the eyes which is great um and then we get into the um the pen now there's two versions of pen so there's one that's like a basic version. Yeah, which comes with the
0: device. It's included in the price. So it comes with the device. That's a really important differentiator.
2: Yeah. So there's a, a basic pen, which I guess sort of sounds like just a piece of plastic with a rubber tip on it. Something like that. That's what I'm thinking And then so. they have what they call a premium pen, which I imagine is much more responsive uh, and has sort of things like resistance for when you're making your your notes but uh, of course the main thing with the scribe is the handwriting detection and the ability to make notes Uh, Mm -hmm. particularly you can annotate pdfs which is fine because that's what that's what the um, other device you're talking about uh, did also and um, if you have a kindle book you can do it there as well if you have one of their books in the good old days yeah yeah, in the good old days of actually having a book, um, yeah. So, uh, and it comes with uh, a subscription to Microsoft. So they'll expect you to use Microsoft Office.
0: Well, here is the thing, okay? Mm-hmm. It's it come it it doesn't come with a subscription for Microsoft Office. Okay, mm-hmm. it will work with Microsoft Office. Right. You will be able to send Microsoft Office Word documents. To this Kindle, all right, mm-hmm. which you can do at the moment anyway with the Kindle mm-hmm. reader, but you'll be able to send. And then it will also work with Microsoft OneDrive. Hmm. And OneDrive is free to use. You can get whatever is a five gigs or something. Yeah. Uh, and you can use Word for free on the uh, on the office.com website. Hmm. If you want, you don't have to buy into the subscription with my, though Microsoft does have a pretty good, uh, the family subscription is really good, I think. It's a uh, hundred quid for the year. Uh, and you can have six different people on it. And every one of them gets one terabyte of storage and full use of all of the apps. Quite nice. Yeah, it is. Not bad. Um, but that's what I liked about this particular Kindle. The fact that it ties in with Microsoft. So many people use Microsoft anyway. <laughs> mm, it's <laughs> you know? true. Uh, it's great. I love the fact that the the pen, the basic pen, but the pen nevertheless is included with it. The pen doesn't need any batteries. Mm. Uh, it attaches to the side of the reader Um uh, with a magnet, which mm, nice. I'd rather it slid in there, something a little bit more uh, secure. It works with a ton of different formats. Um, and I think actually the big winner for this, actually, is mm-hmm. that, as you said, you can be reading a Kindle book and you can underline stuff, just literally underline or circle something, or you can make a note in in inside. I yeah. think that, that is, is is the killer for me. And then it also, it all has to be looked into more. Mm-hmm. What I want to see is, can I pull up a blank sheet and just make notes and just use it literally as a notebook? I think I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if I can, and the reviews are good, I'll tell you that that thing is going to get ordered like fast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I tell at you, it's, it's was, in the same way that, you know, you go to the cinema and they make their money off the concessions. Uh, Amazon's uh, own brand accessories are not cheap. If you want to get a fabric cover, it's uh, 55 oh. pounds. So I don't know what that is over here at the moment. Um, Their own USB charger, 18 pounds. 55 pounds. That's that's about two two euro, two euro 50. Yep. They've got a, (laughs) they've got a premium cover. I know, sterling being, being what it is at the moment. Their premium cover, their leather cover is 95 pounds. That's crazy, isn't it? That's just literally taking the the Mick. It absolutely is. Uh, I mean, you know, just, just get your generic thing for a tenner. (laughs) Mm. <laughs> that's that's all you need yeah, yeah you'll yeah, do
0: the job just as well alright so anyway so that's it if uh, Santa Claus is listening uh, two Kindle scribes please or maybe yeah. four because there's ladies in our house and as soon as they see them they're going to go I want one
2: probably Probably, yeah. <laughs> there we go.
0: All right, listen, uh, thank you, Niall, for uh, bringing us up to date with all the cool stuff that is going on in the world at the moment. Uh, remember, if you want to get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland, do sign up on our website for free hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at techcentral.ie.
1: This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central.
0: You've probably grown up with shows like Robot Wars and if you have, then you'll probably remember the distinctive red and black fur polka dot waistcoats worn by Team Nemesis from Dublin. Peter Redmond was a founding member of the team and he has seen and done it all when it comes to the world of robotics, from engaging in armed combat to solving the Rubik's Cube in record time. This week, he sat down with Niall Kitson to talk about his amazing life.
2: Pete, I think every great obsession in life usually tracks back to some childhood event, some wonderful event, some trauma. Uh, yours being robots, what kind of event was it? What happened to you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's, it's an interesting question, I, I suppose. Uh, you know, everybody has got something in their life that, that, that that's an obsession. And it, it seems mine is robots. And I, I don't think it was on purpose. It just sort of grew into that. Uh, my first interaction that I can remember with robots was when uh, I think it was in 1977, Star Wars movie came out, and uh, the, I got a co- I was in, in the shops with my mom, and uh, she bought me the Star Wars comic. I think it was issue two. So the comics were out before the movies in Ireland. Um, the, Back in those days, there was a, a, up to even a couple of years of a delay before a movie would be released in Ireland after the, the release in America. So anyway, on the cover of this comic was a picture of a robot called R2-D2. And I, I just thought this was cool. There was also C-3PO on it, but I was more interested in R2-D2 because it, it looked so accessible as a robot and, and friendly and, and, and non-threatening, I think. Uh, and as a child looking, you know, at, at robots in, in general, I think a, a nice friendly, non-threatening robot was was quite interesting to me. So that was my first introduction to, into robots. And then when I went to see the movie, and I and I I, I fell in love with R2D2 then on screen. And and I I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm, someday I'm going to make my own R2D2. I want to have my own R2D2. Because it looks like, to me, it looked like it it was a dustbin on wheels, and all I needed to do was get some motors and batteries and and a dustbin, and I could make that easily. I had no clue. I was only like eight or something. But um, yeah, that, that was my sort of first introduction to robots.
2: I think R2-D2 is such an interesting design as well, because as you said, it is kind of non-threatening. It's almost sort of a, a secret friend design that you could bring around. And yet it had so much personality within it uh, uh, as well. Very much uh, a staple of the of the Star Wars series uh, in general. So when you got around to sort of trying your first uh, uh, version of R2-D2, how did it go?
1: Uh well, uh, w- do- I just dropped my headset there, sorry. Um, That's fine. Yeah, so when I, I, I first started um, building robots, I didn't start with R2. I did eventually get around to building my own R2, but I was pretty ad- advanced in robotics at that stage. Um, but the first kind of robots that I, I, I remember when I was, I was, you know, maybe I was eight, 10. I went to the library, and I got. I found a book called How to Build Your Own Pet Robot. And, it, and the book described how to make your own working robot um, puppy, and it, it would have a, um, basic kind of intelligence. Now, looking back at it, there was no way that that was ever going to happen in those days, uh, especially not on a budget of a 10-year-old. Um, but I, I really, really tried to, to build something uh, even at that young stage. So I made a lot of wooden robots because I, I, I didn't really have any access to electronic stuff. Uh, um, and I, I had like little, what you know, I mean, really, they were just wooden toys They weren't robots at all. But they were in the shape of, of what I would call robots, little, uh, even humanoids. Um, and then I would take apart some like old cars, little radio control cars and uh, the toys that I had that had little motors in them, try and rewire them and, and get them to work. But uh, almost always they went on fire because I was definitely trying to do two, more work than they were designed to do. I, I didn't understand that, uh, you know, the, the power requirements to lift a big lump of wood is not the same as a little plastic car. You know, that's that was something I, I had to learn in school later on. <laughs>
2: uh i guess uh, with any sort of fascination that you maintain over time in some way you find a way to integrate that or to bring it into your working life to sort of go you know i'll do this job but maybe i'll pick up one or two skills along the way just to to help with you know my side gig or my obsession or whatever uh what what field did you go into and, and how relevant was it
1: Well, I was quite lucky. I I mean, I I guess there was no such thing, well, at at least to my knowledge in Ireland, as a roboticist in in the 80s when I was finishing up school and and going looking for a job. But I I certainly wanted to be somewhere on the cutting edge of technology. And I was lucky enough to get an apprenticeship in the Irish Air Corps as an aircraft mechanic. And that, I mean, that was perfect for... I mean, I didn't really know at that stage that I, that robots was m- was my niche where I wanted to live. Uh, I, you know, the aircraft and the aerospace industry in general was always the pinnacle of technology to my mind. I mean, and really, what I wanted to be was Scotty off Star Trek. That's that's what I wanted to be fixing spaceships. So when I was a kid in school growing up, that was my goal was to be on the Starship Enterprise fixing the spaceship, uh, and that was as close as I could get in Ireland was uh, fixing airplanes for. For our equivalent of the air force, and the so I never got to to, to go to space yet. Um, yeah, and but the, the technologies and and the the what I learned w- working on autopilot systems and and navigation systems and and then and flight simulators w- was an area that I moved into later. Which all of those things were were the. Sort of start of my my real passion of of getting of working in robotics as a career, uh, because autopilot systems and uh, the uh, the flight simulators are the same kind of technology. So I mean, I got to to learn about um, electro- electrics, mechanics, pneumatics, hydraulics, fluid mechanics, and uh, motor control, feedback systems. All of those kind of things that are really important for uh, robotics because it's such a wide field and, and you need so many different skills. And so I was very lucky that I, I did get that apprenticeship and, and then I completed and, and I moved from being an aircraft mechanic into being an aircraft uh, electronics, which which is called avionics engineer. And then uh, we, I was a, an aircraft inspector and then a flight simulator inspector and uh, yeah, it was. It was really, it set me up perfectly for, for my, my um, goal, uh, ultimately the goal of being a robotics engineer. Uh,
2: my first memory of you was actually seeing you and your team on Robot Wars with a, a robot called, I think it was Diodor or Deator I might, I've probably mangled that. Um, so tell me about how the team came together uh, and what your experience was like on the show.
1: So how the team came together was it was a group of us in the Air Corps, my friend Zulu, who was, all, who was on the team, he was visiting America in around 1997, I think it was. And he saw on, in his hotel room, he saw on the TV, this Robot Wars thing, and uh, it was run by Comedy Central or MTV or, or one of those uh, as like an underground filming of, of this thing that, that was growing in America. And he came back and he said, "You'll never believe what I saw. It was amazing. You'd love it. It's good. It had these robots and they had weapons on them and they were fighting each other and it was really cool." And it so was, it was 1997. There was no Google around that time, but there was internet. So I kind of did an internet search. I can't remember what the name of the search engine was at that time, and I found out that the BBC had bought the rights to make a TV show of uh, Robot Wars, and they were looking for competitors. So I gathered that my, my friend and I said, we're going to do this. We're going to make a robot. And at that stage, none of us had a clue. We'd never made any kind of robot before. We, like I said, we were all engineers, so we, we had good mechanical and technical background. But we, we had no clue about robots. Um, so we, got, we bought some motors and some batteries and a remote control system. We put them all together. No clue what we were at. That instantly went on fire, which was great, and we had a we had a good laugh at that. But we learned a lot from it. We we had way more battery and not enough um, gearbox essentially, uh, so the the motors were being overdriven. Um, but but it was really fun to watch that going on fire, and and you know because I mean that was probably the the highlight. We were trying to push a car or something, and uh, to see how powerful it was, and it just burst into flames. And so that kind of became our theme, I think, uh, in Robot Wars, was bursting into flames. The, we, um, we, our first robot for Robot Wars was called Nemesis. And that was a pretty good design. We, we managed to, to, to scrounge up those gearboxes that we, we required from bomb disposal robots that were being de- decommissioned. So they were pretty pretty sturdy things that you know that, that weren't going to break on us. And we put those in, and then when I saw the thing driving around on the floor, it was just so cute, and it just brought me back to like that R2D2 and that sort of character of being friendly. And I said, I, we need to make this into a character. Uh, we need to give it a face, and and maybe maybe some some kind of animal fur or something. And so I went off to it was the Woolen Mills in, in Dublin City Centre. I went into uh, and I had a look at all the they had the. The four fabrics, uh, four fur fabrics on on display, and I was looking along at cow skin and leopard skin, and I saw this ladybird stuff, and I said, "That's the one I want. I want that one." So uh, I got a, a ream of the the ladybird fur and covered the the entire robot in it. One of the rules of Robot Wars was that there was no flamethrowers, so I, you know, that was fine. However, what I didn't know was that the house robots from the BBC were allowed to have flamethrowers. So now I was bring in this this uh, <laughs> combustible robot in, into a, a yeah, torch pit. And it did go on fire many, many times. And And the first time it happened, it was funny because it just brought us back to that first time when we built our very first robot that went on fire. And so the second time we did it, we covered it in in um, fire gel, so that it would actually properly go up on fire, and and we've done that ever since. So we've always covered the robot in fire gel, so it will burn properly. Because there's nothing funnier and more exciting than seeing a robot on fire going around the arena with a smiley face on it and big bulgy eyes.
2: <laughs> I, I I remember the, it going on fire many at the a time and thinking it was a really poor design choice. But it's it's interesting to hear that uh, that was that was done by design. Um, and it's a robot that has brought you kind of around the world, really, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, that we did Nemesis for the first two seasons of Robot Wars, and then we changed to a robot called Diator, and we've had several. I think maybe five different variants of Deitor since then. So I think that's the one that you're more familiar with in the later series of robot wars. And yeah, we've we, we fought in China, we've we fought in Russia, we fought. We, yeah, we've travelled around with with DITOR a lot, uh, and and we've taken quite a few trophies home as well. For um, yeah, Deitor has, has been quite a good robot to us. So I mean, in, in all its variants, I. Uh, we have a mini DIA tour as well, mini tour, um, <laughs> which is a featherweight version of it. Uh, whereas the normal DIA tour is, is the heavyweight, which is 110 kilos.
2: Wow, that's 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 quite a package. Um, and uh, you're also associated with uh, <clears throat> another robot, which has uh, uh, quite a quite quite a narrow focus, uh, but one that I'm sure is familiar to uh, people also around the world, I suppose. Um, for you know, it's a it's a Guinness World Record setting robot.
1: Yes, Robot Two, the Cubinator, is my um, yeah my Guinness World Record setting uh, Rubik's Cube solving robot. So what happened there was I the because I was doing the Robot Wars, um, BT had just taken over the Young Scientist Exhibition, and they came and they, they gave me a call and said, "Can you display?" Your dator and, and some robots. We're going to get some of the guys over from UK to show off the house robots, and maybe you could come and show off your robot as well. So I did, and I, I did that for a couple of years, and 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 that started to grow legs. Then so people were inviting me all over the place to to show off the robot, and uh, and which I enjoyed doing. So I went to a lot of schools. I went to uh, Colleges, I went to libraries and universities and um, and science fairs, etc. And to just to show off and and because people couldn't believe what how big and strong and powerful these robots were. Anyway, because I was at the BT Young Scientists, I I that that segment where we would just have the robots on display sort of grew into. Uh, over over maybe f- a course of four or five years into a little demo of a fight to a bigger demo of a fight to building an arena and having proper fights and then having some side robots and bringing other robots in. And, and I was constantly then trying to come up with what, what's the next thing going to be? And I made, f- for my master's degree, I was working on... Um, an artificial intelligence system and I, and I wanted to come up with some something that was easy to comprehend so i came up with a, a color recognition actually but that was my bachelor's um a color recognition system and expanded that for my master's into a robot that can solve the rubik's cube I was looking at my desk and on my sorry, I was trying to think. What am I going to? What's my project going to be? And on the desk was a Rubik's cube, and I said, "Well, that's easy. It's only it's got a finite number of colors. so only six colors on it. All I need to do is recognize all of those, and and then I'll be able to recognize the pattern. So that's what I did for my bachelor's. And then I said, "Well, in the next step in for my master's degree, I said I can make a robot that can actually solve. Now that I can understand." What position it's in? If I make a robot that can solve it, that'd be kind of cool, and that would be I'd be able to put that on display. So I made a Robot One, which was really small, made out of little servo motors and a webcam. It would look at all the colors of the, of the Rubik's Cube that was mixed up, and then the little servos would try and solve it, and 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 it worked. I mean, it, it worked well. It the problem with it was that the servo motors were. Not very strong, and after a certain length of time, they would they would just sort of lose power and get tired for for want of a better word, and drop the Rubik's cube. And so I knew I needed to make it a bit bigger and better. But that was that was enough to get me my master's. But I still wanted I said I want to do this properly. So I went off and I bought all the pneumatic stuff that I that I needed to do to to do it with a proper power so that it was able to hold comfortably hold a Rubik's cube and, and turn all the all the sides. And that's where Rubot two came out of. And my, my objective was that I, I said if I build this, I can bring it to the Bt Young Scientists, I can I can show it off. People will come up and have a look at it. You know, it, it will solve the the cube in, in enough time that, you know, you won't get too bored and and uh, and it'll be interesting, and for when humans solve Rubik's Cubes, that looks clever, looks smart. You know, you say, oh, that's a really clever person that able to solve a Rubik's Cube. So if a robot's able to do it, then you think, well, that's a really smart robot, and that's kind of what I was after for that. The It, it turned out that it was actually really fast at solving Rubik's Cubes, uh, uh, and I, I built that in 2006, and by 2008... No, 2000 2009 uh, I BT uh, said is or somebody said to me is this the fastest in the world at solving Ruby scoops and I said I, I honestly don't know let's so I called uh, the Guinness World Records and they came over they checked it out and timed it we had a big day at the BT young scientist and it solved it for them and, and they said yes that is the fastest in the world so and that was in 2009 so for 3 years it had already been the fastest in the world before it was actually official and then and it kept that record until 2011 when it was when it was totally tranced by uh, another robot um, but that robot was specifically built to be the fastest whereas my one was built for entertainment because that's what i enjoy doing it's just putting smiles on people's faces and and making people just look at robotics in a different way.
2: Yeah, sort of very much the the possible, the art of the possible, uh, be, being the attraction. I, I, I suppose uh, the legacy of Robot Wars, of course, uh, continues to this day with uh, Robo Riots. So, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, as I say, the the young scientist exhibition. Where we started off in the corner of a room, we grew and grew and grew. Where we had it, we were having seven thousand people coming to see specifically to see our show every day. So a couple of years ago, we decided we we would do our own show, and uh, we did one in 2019 in the National Basketball Arena, and we have another one now on October 8th and 9th in the National Basketball Arena again. And we have what we did for that is we bring over the Robo, all our, our friends for over the last 25 years that we've we've had uh, build, who are building robots for Robot Wars, bring them over and we do a live Robot Wars event. And we also have some other robots that go on on the outside, R2-D2 will be there. And uh, we have a robot called Alex. But the, the, the thing about the live event is that when you watch Robot Wars on TV, they look like toys. You, you really just can't appreciate the power that's in them until you see it live. When you see it live and you watch 110 kilo robot that's quite large, it doesn't look like a toy anymore. When it's when you're right beside it, flipping another 110 kilo or, or flinging it across the arena and landing and smashing and bashing and the noise and the you can feel the floor vibrating. It's just, I mean it really is a live event that no you just cannot appreciate what it's like in, on TV. We put washing machines in our fridges and we're flinging washing machines across, you know, five meters in the air. And uh, yeah, it's uh, absolutely, uh, you know, I want to share this experience with everybody because uh, anybody who's seen it on TV will, and who likes it on TV, will be just blown away by what it's like in life.
0: And that was Peter Redmond chatting with Niall Kitts and you can see plenty of what Pete does best at Robo Riots which is on at the National Basketball Arena in Talla next weekend the 8th and 9th of October visit our website at RoboRiots.ie That's it for our show this week. Our thanks again to our sponsors, Avanad. You can check them out at avanad.com forward slash Ireland. And of course, remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland for yourself with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or catch the latest with us each week online or on Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.
1: Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech